From building companies to burning out, this is The Really Really. Here we go. Episode 11 of The Really Really. This one's going to be kind of a weird one for us. I, I see this episode as kind of a reckoning for something that we failed to do, which is like bring a diverse enough cast of people into the conversation. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, a lot, plenty of them are excuses, and I think they boil down to like we should have just tried harder. But we're focusing this conversation on talking about bringing women into entrepreneurship, the journey of women within entrepreneurship, the challenges that we have as men in creating those opportunities to to have more diverse participants in all of this. And so I think for all of us, there are a few personal stories to get into. Yeah, I think that this has been an interesting season. I, I think. 360 and um, at least in my own life, really thinking about why I do the things I do. I just always feel like August is a month that I always um, sort of loathe. And it's also reasons I also love loathe Christmas. And that is like where August has this tendency to people are traveling a lot more, a lot of people are vacationing. And I think in the world of entrepreneurship, that can be hard to dif- to deal with because we don't, you know, a lot of people, us don't stop and we don't take enough vacations. And I think we're constantly looking at the things we have to do when people are gone. Essentially, I think that gets very frustrating. I know I struggle with it, particularly over Christmas. And I've written about this on Medium, some of the mental health challenges I've run into when I feel like this just shuts down. I also just feel like this weather (laughs) has gotten everyone I think around me just a little bit more on edge. And if there was ever a time to be reminded of why we do this uh, or add a little more context to why we started this really, really was to just remind ourselves that the reason we started this was so that we could talk about topics that we didn't feel uh, didn't get the coverage or a lot of these entrepreneurship startup podcasts are hustle until you drop and raise money and all this stuff. And we've we've gone another route just to discuss the experience of entrepreneurship, at least from our perspective. And one thing we started with was we didn't want to shy away from topics that were potentially loaded potentially, and there's a reason why a lot of people don't talk about this openly. And that was kind of the mission we started with. And uh, both of you and I having a different perspective on a lot of things, but to see, try to learn and push ourselves. And this one's, this episode scares me probably more so than anyone we've ever done, because this is a topic that I, you know, biases towards women and entrepreneurship or female founders is something that, gosh, I don't even sometimes realize that I might be doing. And you know, I, I wanted this. I wanted this particular talk to be open and vulnerable, and and just so everyone listening that we are always striving to learn more. We're all, always trying to look in the mirror and be a little bit more critical about the things we can control and do better. And I just think this topic is one of those topics where I'm excited to to get into it. We're welcoming back our. I think this is our first repeat guest. Correct. That's right. First, re- this is her second time, Janessa White. Simply eloped. We got so much good feedback from the last episode we did with you because you kept it real. And if people don't know you, like you are a straight shooter and and definitely a person to at least introduce us and help us kind of explore the very high level of this topic, which is women in entrepreneurship. So welcome back. Thank you. 
Well, do you want to start off with a little bit of local news? I think we have local news to discuss, and I feel like we are the best ones to cover it because we have we know so much about journalism. <laughs> That's right. We're practically honorary. I will win awards. Investigative journalism. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, so, okay. So there was an article recently released in the Idaho Statesman which is probably the biggest journalistic organization in the state, about the very pressing details of your relationship. Can you talk a little bit about that, Janessa? Yeah, so apparently I'm a Kardashian, and the statesman <laughs> is that way. TMZ or E! News. Um, so a little bit of background. The last episode, I had um, been in a relationship with my co-founder, co-CEO Matt Daly um, that has since dissipated. So we were together for six years. We ran the business together for five years. The business is still running, headline, <laughs> and, um, you know, decided to, after a trip to Mexico, call it off. You don't need to know the personal details. Nobody does. But um, series of events. So that happened back in mid-May. You know, it's a precarious thing when people run a business together and are dating. And I think that it's sometimes a red flag for investors and sometimes a red flag for employees. Um, you know, we've all heard horror stories. So we treat it with a lot of care and tenderness. And so with our team specifically, um, minus like a, a leader here or there, we really didn't tell anybody for about two and a half months. We did that intentionally. We wanted to kind of work out the emotional side between he and I and the business side between he and I. It's a lot to navigate prior to inviting other people into it. And I think that was actually a really wise decision on our behalf. So last Friday, two weeks ago, we had an all-hands meeting and kind of minutes before the meeting, Matt and I impromptu decided to share the news. We did kind of a mental health checkup with our team and decided just to share that as our mental health update. And with that, I decided to do a tweet about it. We all know how Janessa uh -oh. is about her Twitter. <laughs> Damn Twitter gets you every time. No holds barred. Nope. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just did a very high level tweet saying like words out. You know, we called things off. Been a rough summer. Hanging in there. But minutes after tweeting, someone from the Idaho State Sun followed me and then... Mere minutes after that, we got an email through Simply Eloped uh, with someone saying that they wanted to cover it. Um, I had no interest in talking to anybody from a news outlet. Didn't think it was newsworthy, so I passed it on to Matt. Um, I think he wanted to control the narrative, which is a pretty common thing. It seemed like they were going to cover it whether we talked to them or not. And so Matt did an interview with them, but it was pretty non-newsworthy in, in my perspective. So, yeah, apparently... That's all the statesman has to cover these days, folks. Yeah. So so the whole whole article was just like four paragraphs and basically saying that you were in a relationship, you started the business together, you're no longer in the relationship. Yeah, I think they were trying to position it as like this was dramatic for the Boise startup scene and that this was going to impact Simply Eloped. The reality of the matter is like business is better than ever. We recovered from COVID everybody's getting married this summer and, you know, Simply Loped is no exception to the booming wedding industry that's taking place right now. So business is amazing for us. And, you know, honestly, one of the biggest compliments that I got from one of my leaders when we did tell them it, it, two months after the breakup, he was like, I would have never noticed. Like Matt and I kept our shit together, which, you know, when you're ending a six-year relationship, that's says not a really lot. Any, yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. So, well, which whether you did or whether you didn't, it's just like, 
my reaction to it was like, wow, that is not news. It is you not know? That news. is not important. And it's like and the, inappropriate the that it comes is, out. Like, they quoted the tweet because they yeah. didn't get me on an interview. They In multiple spots, like they quoted my tweet. And I was like, this is what TMZ does. Like yeah. this is what E! News does. <laughs> they have such little to go off of that they're like spinning a story out of a tweet. And that's how I felt. So anyways, yep. That was a... Uh, I, I tell you what, like all my friends were like, what is happening? Like, you're Janessa, you're nobody. <laughs> it's kind of true. I was like, I don't know why this well, is a thing. Well, I don't know about nobody in, in the I eyes mean, of the States, but obviously that's well, uh they are maybe leaning a little, uh, I don't know, car- keeping up with Kardashians. I but guess so. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I like I like that they're invested in like telling stories about companies that are getting started here. I guess that's true. And, and to be... A little bit fair to them, your relationship with Matt was part of the sort of public story that went out about Simply Eloped. But it's just like, it so doesn't matter that uh, I think that it was just a mistake for them to bother to publish that. But it gave us us some content once again to reference your tweets, which (laughs) they did us a a favor there. Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Speaking of your tweets, I want to go back to the last one because in that episode, we talked about it a little bit. Yeah. We we hadn't had a lot of conversations about yeah. it at that point. And, and, and so, you were speaking an analogy, I believe. And I totally botched it. Totally right. screwed up yeah. like what I wanted to bring up about that. But you were making a good point, which is that there are a lot of podcasts. And a lot of males on the podcast. Can I say L- something in regard sure. to that? I am worried for your podcast that people are like scared to come on. And I have no proof for this. But because it it was a little call out and I'm afraid that because it's like the really really plus a call out that like people in the startup industry are like scared to come on because truthfully like for a startup like you want your startup to look like the best startup ever and you want to look like the best CEO ever you know that's part of like why you go do PR right optics and and so I wasn't offended I mean I was kind of like definitely caught off guard not offended i feel like you and i recouped fine on the podcast and off the podcast but i am concerned that like people in community and and i don't know if there's any legitimacy to this or not like would be scared of being called out on your podcast you know well i think people should be a little bit afraid of being called out on our podcast i mean we want it we want to hit charged issues we want to talk about the real stuff yeah but i want to be clear i was not trying to call you out i was absolutely i was trying to call us out okay it backfired Well, yeah, I know. It it, it really didn't come through because, I mean, it's something that I'm – my biggest embarrassment about this project is not, like, some stupid thing that I said on one episode or something that we, like, Mm -hmm. didn't get edited out or or something I didn't articulate well. It's that we are a couple of dudes, like, sharing our opinion, waxing intellectual. I think Mm -hmm. we're talking about important stuff, but we have failed to bring in all of the voices that are relevant to that conversation. Well, that's a great way to dive into what we're here for. That's why, again, again, Dom and I had a, a a decent kind of long conversation this morning about um, back to what I was talking about, about the why. Um, and that was, we didn't feel like we, well, I guess to say we did feel like we were not bringing in all the voices that we should have, but it, I guess the reality that we didn't realize it fast enough was something we wanted to do unpack because, you know, we mm-hmm. wanted to be vulnerable and this is about, these are the conversations that scare us. That's why we want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, we, as I told you before, like there wasn't, there's no defined end to this. There's no sponsorship. There's no, mm-hmm. we're not Gary V. We're not selling services. Like we generally just wanted to prove that some of these top topics can be discussed mm. um, in a productive way. And they should be discussed. This is the stuff that happens offline between other founders and investors. And very, I have not heard them come together yet. Mm. So this is a perfect 
conversation to have relative to the female founder community. It is, you know, when, when we've kind of, we've always talked about it, but when we started to really feel a sense of conscience about it is when we both decided, yep, let's just go. Let's not overthink this. We had ideas of having an all-female-led podcast with other female. We had so many ideas, mm. but we didn't pull the trigger. I would think we we're overthinking it. And so we just said, I know who will talk to us. <laughs> Janessa White is simply alone. <laughs> she will talk to us and she will keep it real. To Dom's point, we're not right for everybody. Yeah. And like I said earlier, if this was a podcast about come pitch your idea and we have investors that listen, we would have all kinds of people. Um, and our audience has grown. I think that people appreciate that there isn't any sort of agenda here other than just discussion and kind of thoughtful and productive topics. So I'm excited to have you in here and let's, and again, this one, we've already got so many topics. So let's dive into the world of the really, really and, and female founders. All right. So Janessa, what would you say are some of the differences in experience that a female founder might might see versus maybe a male founder speaking completely in general. And, you know, we're just waxing intellectual here as always. Yeah. I think the challenging thing about starting with a question like that is that there's a lot of change happening that I'm witnessing in the industry at large, that there's a lot of excitement about female founders. There's a lot of um, excitement from investors about diversifying their portfolios. So I do see some migration, but Simply Looked has been business for five plus years. And so I've kind of witnessed a small history there. Generally speaking, as for myself, I can say that I think I get a lot of reactions from people that are very underwhelmed by me in terms of being a business owner. I think it's partially because of the industry that I'm in, that when I say I own a loatment company, a lot of people just assume that that means like a little mom pa shop set up here in Boise, Idaho. That is not the case. We're in 34 destinations around the nation. I have 30 employees and we're on track to do between seven and eight million dollars in revenue this year. Um, so it's a very different story than I think what most people hear when I say that. And then second of all, I do think that a lot of times people, I mean, I, I'm a tiny woman, like tiny, tiny. Um, and I look younger than my age. And so I think a lot of people just think that I'm kind of like not a serious person, you know, like not a serious business owner. Or, um, so I do think that in general, people kind of underestimate what I got going on, which is actually okay. In some instances, I kind of play that to my strength sometimes. But I also see that with a lot of other female founders that maybe we're just not taken as seriously. Um, in a lot of instances, you know, when it comes to fundraising, pitching, really being bulldogs, getting out there and and making something grow aggressively, um, I do think that female founders generally, unless it's a very particular industry, tend to be a little bit overlooked. Yeah. And I hate to hear that. It's okay. I mean, something that stands out in what you're saying about that to me is the notion that you know, you have to you have to try to use some of those things to your advantage. You have to find a way to use some of those things to your advantage. And I can speak just kind of anecdotally. You know, I helped organize a, a women in tech sort of panel at Boise Startup Week a few years ago. And I didn't even moderate it. I was just like, you know, do your thing, like everybody come together and whatever the content is, it'll be, which turned out really cool. We had, we had a professor, we had some developers, we had some people who were in management, uh, CEO of a local company. 
and that was awesome. Some things that kind of turned out to be enlightening to me about that was like, for one, a lot of, well, so, so one of the people who was on the panel happened to be an employee of mine at the time. And that person mentioned that things like nerd culture or like Star Trek culture inside of a software development team or, or inside of the company sometimes tend to signal a little bit more to men or like create like this environment that, you know, women are just maybe slightly less likely to appreciate. So we had like this gigantic mural of the Starship Enterprise like drawn up on the other side of the wall. And this person happened to be like sitting there facing that all the time. Mm-hmm. And to her, what, you know, what I thought was like, oh, we're just putting up this awesome mural, right? But a way that she interpreted that was that like, oh, this is a place for boys. Mm-hmm. Like this is a this is a boys culture. And that sort of led me to sort of question a lot of just the way that I engage people, the my expectations if I walk up to a stranger at like a networking event or a talk or a conference or something and start talking to them. Mm-hmm. Like I realize that in a lot of cases, I'm expecting the kinds of responses that males are more likely to give. I'm mm-hmm. expecting the kinds of confidence that males are more likely to give mm-hmm. just based on the differences between how we raise yeah. girls and boys in this country, or at least how we have. Yeah. It's, and painting with really, really broad strokes. Yeah. I also can't speak to the male experience, but something I think about all the time is Elizabeth Holmes. I think that she was just such a fascinating character, how she emulated Steve Jobs, how she lowered her voice, which I think she legitimately did yeah, to sound more manly. Like everything about her was very stoic and it seemed very um, presentational. And I think that she like to a degree, I would imagine if I sat down and had a conversation with her, I think that she would say like, those are the things that I had to do to get ahead. And so like in relation to my experience, like I definitely feel like there is a level of like me kind of like elbowing in a crowd to like (laughs) make my place to the top. Not that I'm like hurting people, but that I'm just like trying to just elbow people to like stand on my own and say like, hey, I'm actually like able to stand here and hold my own. More like a defense mechanism. I don't know if it's a defense mechanism. I just think that like I do feel like I have to explain myself a lot of like, no, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is why like Simply Loved is a legitimate company. You know what I mean? Like I do feel like frequently I'm having to prove myself. Whereas Matt Daly, tall white guy, I, I, he he didn't have the same issues that I had out in the world. And I would watch it. I mean, I was his partner, you know? So I don't know. She's just a figure that I think about a lot. Um, and she's obviously like an extreme version of how a woman could react or could behave to like, you know, claw her way to the top for lack of a better term. So it's just something that I think about frequently is like what traits, just like you said, does a woman need to have to be a successful business owner? You know, uh, what what do others expect of her if she's going to be a confident, you know, ambitious, successful business owner? I mean, I, I think those are good things to talk about. It's interesting because I think, you know, as we as more and more spotlights come on to this topic, and I think that's in general, especially the last couple of years, there's a lot of some people could say in the spotlights, most people could say in the crosshairs. I think as we, you know, the, the topics that people are willing to discuss and aren't willing to discuss at this point um, because of cancel culture, because of mm-hmm. fear, I think that at least in my own experience, uh, and again, why we wanted to kind of do this podcast was that we also didn't want to change and you know and sort of walk the tiny, thin line. We wanted to just treat people like people. What I'm trying to get at is with a spotlight on you know Me Too movements and everything else like mm-hmm. that. How can 
males in the sort of entrepreneurial ecosystem more productively talk about these issues, um, in your opinion? Or are there, you know, I just don't want people to be afraid of talking about it because of the fear of consequence. And that's something we talked about a little bit earlier. Like we didn't, we wanted to to talk about the subject incredibly vulnerable and just to come back to our mission, which is the one reason why we do this is to learn. I'm going to be so honest with you guys. Yeah. I'm just really struggling right now with how I feel I witness people having conversations in general. Like, I'm not a fan of cancel culture. I just feel like what I witness right now with our current generations and younger generations is a lot of lack of empathy. And I see instances of, like, people trying, whether it's, like, to understand black culture better or to understand, you know, uh, female entrepreneurship better. And I just see so much cancel culture and so much attacking and so much defensiveness. So I don't know if I have a really good answer to that question specifically because I just think that anything needs to be approached with empathy. And I just don't see, at least, like, on Twitter, on platforms, in the news cycles, like it just seems like we're such an attacking, in an attacking age right now, where even if someone's trying, it's like, well, you're not trying hard enough, or you're not doing good enough, or, you know, you're not even seeing things properly, you shouldn't even have to ask that. And it's just, it's a hard time to have open conversations. It really is. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we talked about it before on the show, but it's just a phenomenon that's happening now where the most extreme statements are the ones that rise to the top. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, I've also found that, you know, if you can get just in entrepreneurship, if you can get into a group of experts and then sort of it, it almost sounds like the old like televised prison advice, like get in and like on your first day, punch the biggest guy in the face oh, and, yeah. you know, and, and prove your ground. Mm-hmm. But like if you can get get into a group of like established entrepreneurs and then like visibly prove one of them wrong in front mm-hmm. of the others then that sort of like creates this statement that mm-hmm. that you are to be listened to regardless of whether that you know it's just something that's rewarded mm-hmm. a little bit that's such a masculine thing that antagonism it really is. and it is a masculine thing and at the same time it's like embedded into this culture i've i've and i've witnessed in a lot of cases there are like even within companies you know there there are some companies where like the person who is yelling the loudest is the mm-hmm. one who's most likely to be listened to but that doesn't mean that they're the person who has the best ideas yeah. or or the best interests in the company mm-hmm. and so i think questioning all of this is really important talking a little bit about the can- cancel culture side of it i think i'm leaning in support of the cancel culture movement and i realize that it's like a hard turn it's like an abrupt mm-hmm. thing to do to our culture to inject it and there are plenty of instances where i see it happening where i don't necessarily agree with it and i i never really want to just take somebody's claim that somebody should be canceled at face value i want to look into it but at the same time i've kind of learned that there is a place for that antagonism to exist and that's when you want to like disrupt existing patterns. I'll say that I you know I don't think that I would talk to I don't think that there's a single business person that I've talked to who has said like women shouldn't be in leadership positions or you know w- women shouldn't be run- running government or women should stay in the home or any of that. But aside from that, aside from like overt sexism, I think that there's a lo- a huge margin between like entering a conversation that would be an opportunity with a woman and 
behaving in a way that gives that person the opportunity to be themselves and present themselves on the grounds that matter versus not thinking about it at all and just doing what you would normally do without taking into consideration that that person has a different background. And I think that, I, I think that what cancel culture might be doing that might be beneficial is just getting everybody to think about it. I'm 100% in agreement with that. And by no means am I canceling cancel culture. Um, I think for me, I'm I'm like, what's the best tactic? Like, is the best tactic to really cancel someone ever? Is that really the best tactic? Or is the best tactic to say like, hey, you deserve to be called out. This deserves to be a public moment. And that seems to be the only way that I can achieve the justice or the closure or whatever I need. I would say probably 50% of the time there's a better tactic that's going to ultimately end up better for both parties involved. Well, it um, shuts down conversation. It shuts down it, conversation. And I think that, I mean, and that's probably a hyper generalization, but the biggest problem I have, and the reason I why we do doing this podcast that scares us is because when you shut the conversation down, it just becomes, I mean, when people are afraid to say anything or come up with or at least present their point of view, I just feel like then that's a one-sided conversation. You, we yeah. may have a ton of awareness, but are we able to productively talk about these conversations between three people who care about each other totally. in this room and want the best for all of us and want to like collectively find the right avenues to talk about things. Well, and to bring it back around to the topic at hand. So in your scenario that you're describing, two people having a conversation and one person's like, I don't know, pivoting to cancel. I think it's difficult sometimes for the person in question to really take a moment to introspect, like what's informing my opinions. So in the entrepreneurial scene, for female founders, I'll be honest with you, there are like outside of, well, even locally in Boise, Idaho, but nationally, there are not many instances of female founders that I want to emulate. You know, some of the the hot ones are Elizabeth Holmes. She was a mega disaster. The founder, co-founder of Away, who like vapidly mistreated her employees, you know, and there's tons of documentation about that. I mean, there there's not very many people that I can point to and be like, wow, I really want to be like her. Minus locally, like Jess Ralph. Oh man, I'm such a fangirl. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. and Cherie from Salt. Like there's some really great examples. So I think the tricky thing is like oftentimes a person doesn't know maybe the stigmas or the examples that are like leading into their perspective. You know, like it's you you had a story you wanted to share, Maddie Price, about a female founder who was pregnant. Yep. And and I think that's a really great example of like females do have still like to fight for the right to be a, a founder because, you know, it's like, do we want to build a family? If we have a family, how are we balancing the family life with the business life? If we want to get pregnant and still, you know, be the CEO of a company, is, are those two ideas that are in like clear juxtaposition with one another? Why don't you share your story, Maddie? So I've been through something recently in my sort of my business coaching part where I work with founders of all types from minority background founders, female founders, white founders. I just, I'm looking for badass, crazy people to learn from them and then also add the perspective I have as sort of the seed and growth stage. And a lot of it revolves around funding. I think that's when a lot of people really start to be vulnerable. I think it becomes out that, you know, the stress of running a company that's running on money constantly, which somebody recently told me something great, which is it's all dirty till the A round. <laughs> little pieces of funding. It nothing is, you know, the way it text tech crunch or recode reads. But in this particular scenario, there was a founder who was negotiating a seed round. And in that seed round, she was pregnant. To be candid, she told me very early, but as she went through the funding journey, negotiating with leads 
you know, it somehow came out that they didn't know she was pregnant. And they immediately came to this conclusion of uh, that founder wasn't being transparent, you know, that there was some sort of lying or hiding or omission in that. And it was a super interesting question because I asked several people to include founders and fund managers. And everybody kind of came back with the same, this is, this is thorny. Mm. Um, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a clear, there's no clear playbook for this. But, you know, in the end, uh, said fund did actually end up changing the terms of that deal, uh, not to help the female founder or the company. They, you know, they kind of cited reasons of, of sort of some mixed misprojections they didn't ultimately see. And they reflected that in the valuation to be, you know, they think the valuation was somewhere around nine. They wanted it to see it somewhere around six or seven. And that was at the last minute after other investors had already wired their money, the terms were already signed. So it begs the question, what in that situation, you know, what, you know, what would be, what can we agree, at least us three on what is, you know, what is best practices given cancel culture, given everything we're going through as a society, it was a very real world example that, you know, luckily this founder was badass and put it all back together. But yeah, you know, it begs the question, like what, you know, what do you do in that situation? Right. And there's, there's a huge catch 22. I mean, the, we're standing, humanity is constantly standing on the precipice of cultural change. And, you know, maybe 20 years in the future, there's going to be an obvious answer for that. But we're, you know, we're at the cutting edge of finding that answer. And so that founder, like knowing that they're pregnant, also knows that there isn't a playbook for what to do here. There isn't necessarily recourse. There isn't necessarily an opportunity for, for them to say like, nope, this is what you should do for these reasons and, and you know, move on from there. And so like going into that pitch, like being transparent in that way, which is the sin that, you know, they, yeah, that they've they been accused of is not an obvious thing to do, you know? Like you don't know if they're going to treat you in a particular way. And it turns out that that did, that was at least the catalyst to uh, evaluation change it on the term sheet. reason that it was otherwise based on just a couple months of misprojections, which they weren't lending, they weren't lending debt, right? When you're betting equity, you're betting, will this work or will also, it not Also think work? of how many things go wrong with a pregnancy. Like Ugh. who are you supposed to tell? You know what I mean? Like most, you don't even tell most people until three to four months in. Yep. And so, you know, to, to not tell most people three to four months in and then have to tell a bunch of investors super early on, like, that's tricky. The team knew. Uh, all Everybody inside knew. I just yeah. think that goes back to what we're talking about was, again, that, that really thorny line. I think the mm -hmm. fund was also in a horrible position too. like the minute that came up and they were choose to make, you know, make yeah. a decision. I would say that probably best practice, you know in my opinion, would be you're entering into a partnership. You should hopefully be able to trust said partner coming in with that kind of information and there would be a plan, but that's not the way the world works at the moment. I, yeah, I say, I say fuck that. Yeah, that's <laughs> I say, yeah, yeah, good. so what, what I think is if, if we're just going to like lay down what should have happened, you know, in this sea of gray area, what I think should have happened is, you know, once it was, once it came to light that she was pregnant, they should have treated that as if they were in like a moment of cultural change 2021 right and i think that they I, I think that the appropriate thing to do is to say okay do you have a plan for your maternity leave for like continuing yeah. operations of the company yes or no yes totally agree tell me your plan great that's it nothing else i think is necessary I after wonder that if point. the way they handled it borderlines on discrimination that's what that's where 
you know, my mind went to, too, and they, they handled it. Because there's, like, HIPAA aspects. I mean, that's, like, health. Like, like that, that could have been the case with, like, anything health-oriented. Like, oh, you have Crohn's disease or, you know what I mean? Like, that could have transversed into any category. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have – your family has a history of schizophrenia. I mean, like, there's multiple ways that that could have transcended and been a different topic. And I do feel like you're skirting on discrimination when it when it goes and stuff like that. It was, like, like, surfing the razor-thin line on, on so many different things. But I guess – that we can productively just talk about this scenario. I um, nobody that I that I talked to um, had any clear answer. I mean, I yeah. guess everyone kind of had a way that they would have preferred to go about it. But um, I felt horrible for her. And now, yeah. having gone through, you know, with my wife this pregnancy process, it is gnarly to go through as a person in general. But to go through it with the stress of keeping your company funded, yeah. to keep you know your dreams alive, to look out for your employees and, and current shareholders, like it's a it's a very gnarly thing, mm-hmm. uh, but that also shouldn't preclude women from not being able to go through that experience because they're taking VC money. You know, it's it's a gosh, it's such an interesting thing. I think I read a stat based on 2019 numbers that female invested companies are still traipsing around the 2.89 percent of all companies. Isn't that terrible? That's that's too bad. Yeah, maybe not 2019, 2020, some more contemporary. Yeah, um, mind you, it was a weird year, but. Yeah, isn't that terrible? I'm, yeah, I'm not totally surprised, and and in part, you know, talking about sort of our failure to bring in more female voices in the really, really, we, I mean, we can blame that statistic a little bit because um, they're just not a lot. They're, let's they're, tra- yeah, they're let's transition necessary. to that topic because that's also an equally interesting about why we didn't, why it wasn't so obvious to us to have more female founders on earlier. Yeah, Dom's getting fired up, and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is gonna make me put my humble hat on for a minute too. I, you know, honestly, I, you know, it's been a goal for me from the beginning to get more female voices onto this show, and I do know some female entrepreneurs. So the statistics alone are a challenge. You know, you go into a room of random startup people, a minority—it's likely that a minority of them are women, mm-hmm. right? There are cultural elements of that. You know, like a guy might be more likely to approach me because he thinks maybe mm-hmm. I'm more likely to be interested in fly fishing, which I'm not. But <laughs> Ouch, that, that felt that felt pointed. <laughs> I didn't look at you when I said that. that, that you hurt. Did. <laughs> Poor fish. That's <laughs> funny. No, uh, happy fish because they're not being fished. That's true. That's true. Dumb. I'm a vegan, sir. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, whatever. Fly, fly fishing aside, I'm not judging you for that. Well, I have a but, question. Because I think you're right. Like, there are fewer women business owners in Boise. Yes, fact. There are fewer businesswomen owners in the nation. Yes, fact. A question that I have that I don't know if either of you have the answer to. I, I once upon a time was on the planning committee of Boise Startup Week, what is now on Boise Entrepreneur Week. And I, I'm continually flabbergasted at the lack of female representation at said such event. And I kind of scratched my head because, you know, Trailhead is obviously plugged into the startup community. So that seems like an easy vein for new or fresh, you know, female entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. But then also, like, I see these incredible women like Jess of Love Every or Cherie of Salt who are like, killing it like in terms of nationally there aren't a lot of entrepreneurs i look up to locally those are two women that are just like kicking ass and taking names and i'm like wow you're amazing 
But never once have I seen an event that either of them have spoken at. And so it's like a two-part thing. It's like, one, there's not a lot of them. And and so to me, if I were on that planning committee, I would be like knocking on their door every single year saying like, is this the year? Is this the year? Because guaranteed, like I know that both of these women want to get back to this community. Like I know Jess is crazy busy. I'm, she, I'm Sheree has five children. I'm sure they're both very crazy busy. But like, I don't think that would ever take away from the fact that they would love to get back to this community that's given them so much. So I guess my question is like, WTF. Well, I think yeah. be, I think I believe Jess, Jessica Ralph did speak at the last Trailhead fundraiser that just happened. But I think your point's well taken. But that's Trailhead. That's not Boise Entrepreneur Week or oh. Boise Startup Week. Okay, Those right. So, some of the same people, but not not the same event. So I mean, we're, and we're just as guilty. I mean, that's what we wanted to talk about. I think. Yeah. Well, so uh, I think there are a few things. For for one, I think Boise Startup Week now Boise Entrepreneur Week. I think I think that they do try. I mean, they they had like. A diversity committee, at least for the last two years that that I was involved in that, and I think that they, I, I think that some of the, I mean, some of the tracks have been led by women in the past. They're they've got kind of a new structure going on this time, and and I haven't been involved with the event for a couple of years, so I can't say too much. But I think that they do try, whether you know whether or not they try hard enough. I think really gets at the heart of this because for me you know with this show it's like for one this is you know this is something that we kind of do in our free time which is part of why we don't bring a lot of our own interests or self-promotion into it we're just you know we're just mostly doing this for fun and paying for studio space out of our own pockets and whatever and so when it comes to like finding people to come on this show in a lot of cases we're looking at like who are the people who are most accessible to us and of course like who are the people who are going to like be in kind of this startup i mean i know i know women who are in business who have different kinds of businesses that aren't necessarily relevant to like the startup yeah. and investment sort of cycle necessarily. And so like, is that something I stretch for? And then in other cases, there's like Jessica Rolfe, who I think, I mean, Matt is a big fangirl of Jessica Rolfe and, and, and their work. And so like, I think that we would like to have her on the show, but we don't know her that closely. Like it, you know, it's a stretch for us it's to like ask. Accessibility. Right. Mm -hmm. I and I, I have uh, friends who are female founders who don't live in Boise. They're in like Austin or San Francisco mm -hmm. or Boston. And I think that they would be great guests. But oh, but then there's like the sound quality. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, like we would have to just like try just a little bit harder on each of those angles. And like the the, you know, the lowest friction pathway ends up being a dude in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. right? And and I think I think that that's inherent to our failure. But I also think that that's I think a lot of organizations who would like to have more women involved, universities as well. Mm -hmm. I think you know I, I think companies who who would like to hire more women and have a more diverse workforce. I think the challenge is that you have to try a little bit harder to get a minority mm -hmm. demographic into your thing, and that. You know, that that extra trying in a lot of cases is is the difference. Mm. Something else that this sort of brings up to me is kind of a flip side of this. I mean, I know that. So if you're a female software developer, anecdotally, from my experience in the last few years, I think that it's actually more likely that you're going to get mm. a like high end job in the field because these issues are so clear and, yeah. and because a lot of companies want to get into that. At the same time, it's uncomfortable to like 
be a diversity hire, right? Mm -hmm. Or to think of yourself as a diversity hire. Yeah, even. absolutely. That's what I was, that's the thing that frustrates me. I wouldn't say the most, but the corporatization of these opinions. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of the big companies, um, you know, if we go back to the, to the BLM movement, you know, once it became a, a mainstream thing, you saw a lot of the big companies immediately leaned into it and immediately say, you know, well, we'll send our executives to white, white to diversity training. Are, you know, are we cool mm -hmm. with you guys let now? Mm -hmm. Because it was, you know, driven out of fear base. And, but mm -hmm. there wasn't, there wasn't any like clear sacrifice other than that. I mm -hmm. think that, you know, people just jumped on that, on that bandwagon, which is, again, takes us, I think, farther and farther away from the mm -hmm. middle of this, which is talk about it, be able to, you know, handle it on a case by case basis. Yeah. I mean, so I think I brought this up. My demographic is 92% women. And a large portion of my team is of women, just kind of how it shakes out when you're doing weddings. And I will say that one strength I think we have, and I hope my employees would back me up on this, is that we do ask a lot of questions. And like I just took two of my employees out separately out to lunch last week and just said, this is your time. You have an hour, hour and a half. Tell me all of your complaints. Tell me all your woes. What's working? What's not working? How can we improve? And I got pages feedback, you know, uh, I don't know a lot of founders that do that, um, not tooting my own horn, but I think that that is part of it. Cause I think you're right. I think it's really easy for someone to say like, Oh, simply Lope doesn't do this. Like for instance, one small thing, we hadn't implemented ADA on our website, ADH, uh, like accessibility. Uh -huh. I actually witnessed a tweet storm about it. And I was like, wow, this seems like something we should be tracking. No one had brought it to our attention from our team. No customers had complained about it. And so we started doing some research and we're like, wow, accessibility is huge. So we implemented it on our website and we're shocked at how much use it gets. We're shocked. And so the reason I'm bringing that up is I guess that does like touch on diversity, but also like I feel like something that startups should do well because we're malleable and quick to adapt and, you know, can make those changes is asking questions, taking feedback, determining what's the best plan to deploy and then deploying it, you know. And so I think that the thing that's missing in your anecdote of like the big companies is like it didn't actually go to the heart of them. Right. You know, they're not actually having conversations. They're not actually like it was a quick fix. Caring. Yeah. And so I think that I think that's an opportunity that all all startups have, whether you're a startup like mine that has a ton of women or a startup that has one or two women, you know, with a big Star Trek mural on your, you know, like, hmm. did, have you taken, I don't know if she still works for you, but did you ever take her out to lunch and say like, what's working, what's not working? How can we make you feel more comfortable? I'm sure that would have gone a long way with her not calling you out, but you know. Yeah. Fair point. I think a natural thing, and what I did with my team, because I knew that as soon as I started this trend of taking people out to lunch, it was going to get to the other employees. So I told all my leaders, I was like, I'm not going to make a public announcement about it, but if anyone asks you, I'm taking one to two employees out to lunch on a monthly basis for feedback. And that's yeah. what's happening. Yep. And so you could plan a seed like that and just be like, I'm just taking people out for feedback. And I'll tell you what, there was one person last week that I took out who clearly did not want to give feedback and, um, you know, start off the conversation like, everything's good, everything's great, blah, blah, blah. And so I just waited. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, okay. Yeah. And I just, there was a lot of silence. And then slowly she started cracking that nut. And then I eventually I had a full page of feedback, you know? So right. I don't actually know anyone that doesn't want to make things a little better, even if it's not for themselves, it's for others. It's true. I, I will say, I will say that, you know, at that company, we had a policy of doing quarterly employee reviews 
And so those were like structured conversations with employees mm -hmm. in that context. This never came up. Mm -hmm. And fair enough, like being out at lunch versus being like mm -hmm. in a conference room and talking through like a structured list of mm -hmm. like what of, of things. But was that quarterly also assessing them? Well, yeah, it was it was assessing them, asking questions about the company. It's so it's all thing, of it when together. When you're getting yeah. assessed, yeah, you expect it to be all about you. You're not necessarily coming with loaded armor for true. giving you, feedback. You want to you want to perform. You want to. It does seem yeah. it doesn't. And that, that's a that's a trait of good leadership too, is to be able to have all your employees, you know, at ease enough and and knowing that you want the best for the company and for them to be able to be candid with you about things. I mean, there are plenty of leaders that um, and executives that create sort of a, a dictatorship in the way that the answers that they get are probably not necessarily even or even close to being true because it's something out of fear. And I don't think that has to do with silly with one gender or another. That's just bad leadership versus good leadership. I think, you know, we spend a lot of this time about this in our current, my current company, Killer Kramery, which is, you know, leadership is such a big part of what we talk about in the way, you know, whether the company goes on to the future that we think it does, we want to help create more leaders. We just think that we all see the world through that leadership lens. And when you are, you know, when you can build trust and rapport with your with your employees and, and really just your teammates, and they can be honest with you, and you can take that and not punish them for it yeah. and, and really take accountability as a leader in the organization to say, I have to be able to hear those things. And I think there is, you know, whether that's female or not female, I just think that a lot of people don't do that. And startup teams are, by definition, like the Wild West. Yeah. You know, there are not a lot of people in the beginning that have this deep corporate background that know all the proper procedures. Totally. And, and it's intimidating when you're going through the scale and ramp up period. And I can say from, yeah. from experience now that we have. And, and man, I'll tell you, going through a breakup and then having people give you pages and pages of feedback about your baby. <laughs> like, totally. oh no, it's I hard mean, I'm to like hear. a masochist. I'm like, just, yep. all right, just lay it on. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to hear. Like, it's the people that read their own comment sections when they have giant, you know. Yeah. But we went through this with, um, so we noticed that, you know, we noticed. We, at the time, were a team of, of you know, men, <laughs> essentially, mm -hmm. at Killer Creamery. And we, so... When we look to add, which we just hired uh, a rock star VP of sales. Now, to be fair, the VP of sales role in any organization in a startup is a fucking mess. Yeah. Like that hire is botched so many times. And it's oftentimes because the company's not ready for the executive, not the executive being ready for the company. But we just noticed that, you know, look, most half, at least half or three fourths of our consumer is what female. Mm -hmm. And so to not have a female leading the sales team and not not having that diversity of thought that mm -hmm. lens on brand, that was stupid. Yeah. Now, did we prioritize a female over all the rest of the candidates? I don't think we did. But Isn't when we there some statistic on like women buying power, like women do most of the buying for households. hundred percent. Yeah. The like, you know, again, air quote mom on the go it buys up is bigger, one of the biggest in-store consumers, at least in terms of grocery. Mm. So we noticed, and there's plenty of data on that, but we were so excited to find a candidate that was um, also saw the world through our lens in the way that she believed in leadership, was really well-versed. I wouldn't say she's challenged us, and we knew that when we brought her in, that this person would would level the organization up awesome. that would bring us to a level of professionalism that needed to happen that would lead us just to a more mature evolved company yeah so when we took that lens of the hire you know we were looking for the best person but she has already started to transform the organization in a very few amount of months so i think I don't know, it's back to i don't we didn't want to like hire because we needed a quota 
Yeah. We wanted to hire because we had we had a weakness that we needed to solve and it had nothing to do with like what we should do. It was really what's best for our product and for our, for our shareholders. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I also think I don't know, culturally just like reflecting in real time kind of on on what you challenged me on there. I think that another reason why it might not have come up that we had this sort of cultural hole that was sort of like, or this cultural imbalance that was leaning toward men. I think the a reason why it might not have come up is because that employee knew that I liked Star Trek and mm. I was excited about the mural, right? I, I didn't create mm. space to know. Star Trek does suck though. What? I love Star Trek. I've never even seen it. Yeah. You are wrong, sir. I'm canceled. canceled If you haven't seen it and you say it sucks, then you have no credibility. I have seen it. I've never seen it. And I did say that. I'm I'm shallow. (laughs) No, I I see what you're saying. So she might not have ever given you that feedback. She might not have given me that feedback directly in, you know. But, like, mural aside, out to lunch you're having tacos and you're saying, how can we improve the company and the culture roundabout? It probably would have come up. I feel marginalized because I feel like I work with a bunch of boys. And, and so she might've not directly given you feedback about the mural, but if you're truly like receptive and open, which I know you, you are, I imagine some sort of anecdote would have come about because think about it. It's her job. I'm sure she wants to be happy, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm sure she wants to feel comfortable. And on top of that, like if you if you had another woman or two or were thinking about hiring more, she's likely going to feel protective over those women. You know what I mean? And and something I think about a lot is like um whistleblowers are only whistleblowers because they feel like that's the only way to be heard generally minus cancel culture. And so, you know, I think that there's a like I see a lot of companies do this where they um survey their customers in attempts of like capturing any negative feedback, dealing with that internally so that it doesn't become a public review. I don't see many companies do that with their staff and employees, you know, that like if you have disgruntled employees and you're not like pulling the cancer quote, I mean, calling someone a cancer is terrible, but the cancer of whatever symptom is happening, not only is that going to spread to your other employees, but it it, it is a strong um, indicator to to everyone else that like you don't care like I, I have a friend well I'm not gonna tell you anything about her she's local who works for a company where there are so many symptoms of a really unhealthy top-down culture um, not not in the startup community and because no consequences happen no conversations that are candid happen no feedback is gathered it, it's a clear indication to the people that work there that one they can get away with bad behavior to the top-down culture which is all male by the way doesn't care about them male or female and three like ultimately this is just a job that they can't emotionally invest themselves in and it's just like it seems like a nightmare place to work and so I just I, I do think that like at the heart of things startup non-startup if you want to change things for diversity making things less boyish and more comfortable for a female i do think that like tangible tactical first thing to do choose an employee and take them out you know for lunch absolutely take them out for coffee um because another thing is you could do anonymous surveys we do anonymous surveys at simply eloped but man i'll tell you what they don't give me near the 
feedback that I need to make my company better that just like a candid conversation would have. Which is why we come back, I think, always whether this, you know, are there leaders in organizations that are biased, racist, of course, sexist, of course, but the what you're talking about, I think, can still be solved with good leadership. And a lot of founders don't have any clue what that means. And nor do they really spend well, the time. It is, it's hard. To be fair, it is hard. But you guys invested in the coach because you knew it was important. Only as a reaction. Well, I get that. But like you still did it. Yeah. Um, so whether you... Let me clarify reaction. We had a... a yeah. We talked about last episode. We had a period in our company where there was just a lot of those symptoms that I was talking about with another company um, that, you know, just like behaviors that were very like startling to Matt and I. And, and we're like, whoa, what's this? And, and ultimately it's because we realized that leadership... Everyone needs to be lead, like led yeah. differently. <laughs> and Everyone's so, motivated differently. Yeah, and so that's why we I, there's just coach. a lot of first time mistakes that happen in startups. I mean, I think that's the reality. Of it. But I think do come back to the companies that flourish, in, at least in our opinion. Like we, I'm not saying that we're the best prototype of this, but we recognize that we had a problem with diversity of thought, mm-hmm. and to fill that problem was not only to find you know the best candidate, but it was also to find the right female candidate that we would also challenge us that would feel comfortable. We, we in the first interview, we disclose, by the way, this is a team of all men. <laughs> like we mm-hmm. want you to, from the very beginning, like we really want you to be comfortable. We want to just put that out there because to some people that might be a total non-starter or an obstacle. Yeah. To tack on to my tactical, tangible advice, there might be a lot of instances, you know, like the the one that you were citing where like the person doesn't feel comfortable talking to the CEO or talking to, you know, um, someone who's high level. Like I think for me, we're still small enough, like we're 30 employees. And, and so I do think that I'm at a level where I can do that. And it's not like, you know, there's a hundred people removed. But one of the things that we do with our leadership coaching is we got a 360 review. And so a lot of people will spill their guts to a stranger, you know what I mean? Especially if they know it's anonymous. So for any organization that's having issues and they feel like maybe we aren't a healthy place for the females in our company, that might be just a good place to start, you know, just getting like an anonymous person to just survey either through a 360 review or just like, hey, we're just bringing in a third-party HR company who's just going to interview everyone and just gather a bunch of feedback and then take it to the leadership team. You know totally. what I mean? So that, that could and be another could way. we could also have another whole podcast on on males and organizations that are also feel marginalized for whatever reason. I just think yeah. that like in terms of like we could flip this scenario so around. I and actually say, wonder about that because totally, simply, no, for my own company yeah, because yeah, yeah. at Simply Elope, like we, we just did a mental health share two weeks ago where we, instead of doing an all-hands update, we just asked everybody like what is a struggle or when either personally or professionally you know I, I did get some feedback that that made a couple of people feel really uncomfortable they didn't want to share anything you know and I didn't really give anybody like a heads up like I do wonder you know sometimes that's something I have to be careful of 100%. because my demographic is 92% female and my you know half of my employees are female I am a female and so that is something that I'm actually like try to be mindful of that I'm I'm not sure I might fail you know it's to the same thing, I think if there was an all-women team, depending, on, I guess, on exactly what the mission is. But again, diversity of thought mm-hmm. and diversity of context. And I think whether it's male or female, you want different point of views. And But you want people that are confident enough to share those. Otherwise, what's the point of hiring mm-hmm. different point of views in general? Mm-hmm. But I think that a central thing to this, you know, speaking of that instance where it's a big company and, you know, 2020 happens and they send the whole board out for like sensitivity training or something like that. Sensitivity training is not 
empathy indoctrination. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't make people empathetic. I've and been if, told I need sensitivity training before. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're working on your empathy. I mean, like, I guess the point I'm getting to is hiring empathetic people in the first place, mm-hmm. hiring people who are thoughtful and sensitive to other people's struggles and who like earnestly care about creating a better environment regardless of what they can or can't do in that exact moment is probably a better measure than any other like tactical. And that's a good point. Like, I feel like that's a core tenet of building culture. And I do think that one of the things that Matt and I failed on and then stumbled into is we thought building culture was just like existing with each other. You like know what I mean? happen by itself? Yeah, yep. like Matt and I are positive, we're hardworking, like, you know, to, like we're free-flowing, blah, blah, blah. And so we're like, that's the culture. Like, we're happy, we're a happiness machine, blah, blah, blah. And during that period of time where we had those symptoms, um, we got a lot of feedback, one about our hiring practice, which is what you're talking about, and then the fact that we didn't really have any core tenets of, like, what we wanted our culture to be. So that's when we got really intentional about, like, what are our core values. I even wrote one of the best things I think I've written that I wrote during that time were the 11 tenants of a person that will thrive at Simply Elobed. And I still to this day on board. Did you have a song? Was, did you sing that song? We have a value song. It's That's different. Right. That's right. But still to this day, I onboard every person at Simply Elobed. And I kick off the onboarding with the, the, that list, the 11 tenants of a person who thrives at Simply Elobed. And the reason I kick it off with that is I challenge every person that I hire. I say, hey, I am well aware not every person is going to love working at Simply Loved, and that's okay. The first couple months of you working here, are you determining if this is your dream job and if you're a dream hire? And so I really want you to meditate on these core tenants of a person that thrives at Simply Eloped because this tells you who we are and what we're about. Like our values do too, but our values are more like a playbook on how to deal with our our customers and engage with one another. But the core tenets of a person that thrives simply love are like the personality traits or the like aspects of human psychology yeah. that will either make or break your time as simply eloped. And so I'm really intentional about that. So anyways, what you're talking about is core tenets of building a culture. And I think that's one thing that a lot of startup founders, I see just zip by just like Matt and I did. And then all of a sudden you have this culture where people are like gossiping about each other and mistreating each other and like, you know, lying to each other and like all sorts of weird behaviors. And you're like, oh, I have to take responsibility for that. It's my fault because I wasn't intentional about culture. Building a company is so much more than just building a product and raising money. Like there's so much that goes into something being hyper successful and so many adjustments along the way. Yeah. Well, I also want to say, you know, we've we've been talking a lot about like culture within companies and Mm. ways to like help improve that culture and make Mm -hmm. it inclusive for the people that you've chosen to, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better analogy, go into battle with. And, you know, that was definitely something that I discounted pretty heavily when I was starting off. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought that culture was just kind of a, you know, kind of a buzzword, right? Kind of a vibe, just just kind of a vibe you put out. That's our culture. Like, you know, we're like startup-y and like scrappy and shit. I thought that too. And like something that really brought that home for me was somebody said, if you can get every person at a company rowing in the right direction, you can conquer any industry. And like, that's really what it's about. It's about being confident that the people around you have the values and, and the traits that, that you also expect of yourself and that, you know, and that you need to grow the company. 
almost regardless of what those are. So I, I don't know. I just wanted to tie that into practicality a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think you can't do this without being intentional. The whole the whole journey. Um, yeah. When you just leave it to chance, like someone has told me, and um, it's actually a mantra that I have some clothing on. It says, hope is not a good plan. And hoping that the culture just fixes itself or that yeah. these obstacles and challenges just kind of solve themselves over time, these vibes, um, is a dumb way to do it. To your point, Janessa, these being able to look yourself in the mirror and your exact, you know, your people in the mirror and being able to be self-critical and to run productive companies where people feel that they won't be ostracized or demoted for for being honest. Yeah. That is that's a product of ego. And I think that's also something that we can solve we can help solve in our own companies with startups. I feel like you have to grow into that though, I'll tell you what, because I've I've learned to love it. Like I said, I guess I'm in a very masochistic state of my life right now. Um, but, you know, you almost touched on it. I heard, almost heard you say executive team. And one of the things that I didn't realize at Simply Eloped, because we'd never had it before, is like how important a leadership team is. I mean, you only have a leadership team if you're a big enough company. You know what I mean? And so we're finally at a place where our leadership team is dialed in. And I didn't even realize like how important those generals are in rowing in the same direction. And right now, my favorite things that are happening really since January 2021 is my leaders are coming to me all the time and giving me so much feedback and but the main thing that they're telling me is here's something crazy Janessa you have an outdated way of thinking about things love it <laughs> like my my like <laughs> I haven't updated my software um but because I've been running it for five years and it gets to a point where you know you want your leaders to be creating SOPs and processes and systems like that so I know this is not related to the topic but I'm getting like so much feedback of like you have an outdated way of thinking about things and we need to work together to update it and that's really like the phase that Simply Lipped is in right now that's great I mean you're getting you're getting that feedback people are feeling that they can give you that feedback yeah I I like one thing I'll end on um I think it's just tying back into the very part of this first episode where I think this month, the summer blues, the dog days of summer, however you want to consider it, is a season in everyone's life, whether that's August or not. And one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately is um, how many mistakes we make both as um, executives, leaders, and as people when we forget what we're actually doing. We forget the reasons why we're actually doing the things we're doing. And it's so easy for that to happen when you're thrown into the chaos of startups to just totally forget why you started it, to totally forget the direction you want it to actually go in and just get carried away in all the fires. And so this is a a month where I'm going to continue to remind myself to remember why I do the things that I do. And I'm and hoping that that's also that gives, you know, that true north a little bit more clarity. Well, to grow on Dom's analogy, you can only row in one direction or at least that's the hope. <laughs> well, you can only get it. You can only get anywhere when you're doing that, at least. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Dom, anything else? Nope, we did it. We conquered. We conquered Not sexism. That scary. In our Not that scary. <laughs> no. Right? Thank you so much, Nessa, for having this conversation with yeah. us. Uh, I, really... I look forward to more females on your podcast. Yeah, let Janessa's invited. She let them let the brand of the really really and feeling nervous about coming on our podcast be gone or do we want to keep that? I tell you what, I know that you talked about accessibility, but the key to any success anywhere is to just ask. So I encourage you, whether you have a direct connection to someone or not, just ask. Yeah, we should we should try harder. We should put ourselves on the limb. And I, I, I say that knowing that the next two guests that we have in mind are dudes, but are also talking about some very important things. But we just need to put more effort into it. And I think we will for the next chapter. And send, and send us feedback. Send it to Dom's LinkedIn page, though. 
Yeah. Send all the constructive feedback to Dom. I'm not a masochist. <laughs> and he can like, he can, put, he can put that uh, positive spin when he I delivers I thought we just had the... an hour and a half long conversation about accepting feedback. Oh, well, we did. But it's, <laughs> but it's better if Dom accepts it for me. Delegation is still an <laughs> Delegation element in his. Yeah. And allocation of resources. All right. That's the really, really. There it is. There it is. 